You may have logged on to a website recently and experienced this moment. Your password has been found in a data breach. Please change your password now. If it's a password you use across multiple websites, your email, social media, or even your online banking could now all be vulnerable. This is a common problem. Attempts at making passwords more secure in many ways encourage users to reuse them. If you need to think of a complicated password once, it's tempting to use it everywhere. We need a password which contains the name of your second pet or something like that. Lots of um, numbers, lots of um, alphanumeric characters, special characters, whatever else. Essentially, that led us to a situation where um, the internet kind of originally wasn't designed for, for security. And when these kind of password rules kind of came along, we ended up in a situation where these were things which would ultimately end up leading people to reuse passwords and set passwords which were guessable. And, you know, if one website was compromised, if, you know, the, the website you order pizza from was compromised, it isn't just a case that someone can find out that you're, you're ordering pineapple pizza. Someone can also find out that what your potential, you know, your password is for, 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 your, for your online bank or something, something like that. But at least you've been warned and now you can take steps to protect yourself. And that warning notification that pops up, whether you're using a, a password manager, Google, or an Apple device, it's thanks to one man. Welcome to Engineering Matters. I'm Johnny Dowling. And I'm Alex Conacher. For this shortcast, we've partnered with the IET, the Institute of Engineering and Technology. We're talking to their youngest fellow on record, Junaid Ali, about his work making it easier to notify users of password breaches. And we'll learn how becoming an IET fellow has helped his career. The warning you get from Google or Apple when your password has been found in a data breach is beautifully simple, but its creation was groundbreaking for cryptography and online security. Before the notification system, the best way to find out if your password had been leaked in a data breach was through the website Have I Been Pwned? The site name draws on the deep well of internet meme culture, referencing a game designer's misspelling of owned with a hastily typed P in place of an O. There's a link in the show notes. There was someone at the time set up a site called um, Have I Been Pwned, where he was collecting these data of um, this data and was um, uploading kind of um, what are called password hashes off from these data breaches. So for, I guess, um, people who aren't familiar with a password hash, one of the things we can do in cryptography, you can use computer science and math to kind of hide information, is you're able to take something and turn it into something else in a way that it is very, 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 very difficult, practically impossible to turn back. And um, that's basically um, kind of what a hash function is. And have I been prone? They put out this, um, the guy who runs it called Troy Hunt, he put out um, a um, database of um, password hashes called um, kind of uh, pwned passwords, which had a list of billions and billions of passwords, which were in data breaches. and 
organizations like you know the FBI and things like that they they contribute to to this database now but the question was how could someone actually use this to enhance security practices The problem was finding a way to verify that a password had been in a data breach without sharing the password itself. Approaches like this are also used to scan for copyright violations on video sharing sites and to allow trust and safety teams to identify illegal and harmful content without having to hold copies of that content. And the big problem was how you kind of anonymously verify that password has been in a data breach without needing to download the entire set of data. And this was kind of a problem I was able to able to solve and do it in a very kind of operationally efficient way. And um, essentially by working with the person who ran that, we were able to put this out as a kind of um, free service, which was open to every anyone to um, any website administrator to kind of integrate into and able to use this in order to notify people when there'd been a data breach, stop people using passwords which had been compromised. And when this went out, it was pretty quickly adopted into services like one password, you know, uh, password manager. But then also the underlying research I worked on for this was then built into um, tools like um, the Google Chrome browser or Apple iOS, you know, used in iPhone, so people would have the same kind of capability capability there. Since what is called the Compromised Credential Checking Protocol has been rolled out, Junaid has been working to continuously improve the system and measure its impact. So as part of this, I went through a lengthy process of kind of um, bringing people along on the journey, people who had been decision makers and who had previously been convinced into, you know, the route of um, potentially, you know, actually we, we need um, these complex kind of password composition rules where this stuff, uh, these types of rules are there and then really taking that and um, being able to um, bring them along on that journey and bring the whole community with us, both in terms of the industrial community, the academic community, as well as kind of software developers who were building this, this functionality um, at the time. So nowadays, the actual service itself, the kind of way developers integrate it, I think it's, you know, it's well into the billions um, of times this, the service is used. Junaid's work on password security, as well as in a few other fields, helped propel him towards where he is now, the youngest fellow on record at the IET. Junaid started his career early, he was working on his MSc, at an age most young people have still to complete their A-levels, or high school. The Institute of Engineering and Technology is part of the UK Engineering Council, and it's a global, multidisciplinary institution for engineers and technicians that provides a professional home for life to their members. The IT is involved um, a lot in the engineering community in various ways, engaging kind of, I guess, broader society, helping set standards, things like that. So I think that the first thing I'd say is joining um, an engineering institution in general is absolutely invaluable not just in terms of you know the regulatory advantages but also the access to knowledge the access to the the network and the ability for you when you're ready to be be able to to give back to to the community so when i kind of speak to colleagues um, of mine around the world i think that they're generally very envious of the the engineering community we have um 
in the UK. And I think that's shown by, you know, the, the amount of people who also outside the UK who choose to, to, to adopt our engineering institutions, institutions as their home. Once he became a member of the IET, Junaid was able to get support from within the institution to become a professionally registered chartered engineer at just 23 years old. Being able to go forward and then become chartered and being able to have effectively the regulatory status, which is important for a variety of different reasons. One is in legislation, for instance, there's, there's certain things which are reserved for people who are chartered engineers to be able to do. And it means that there is that peer review around your career and it, it gives you kind of that structured understanding of where you are and where you're able to kind of um, develop, um, develop next. Additionally, another important thing about both membership and both being chartered is it gives you um, essentially access to resources, not just around um, things which are learning and development, but also things around ethical standards, things like that. And it gives people you work with a degree of confidence that you're acting in a professional way and um, in an ethical way. Once he had completed his PhD, Junaid then went through the process of becoming an IET fellow. Fellowship is the highest category of IET membership, awarded to individuals who have demonstrated significant achievements sustained at high levels for a period of at least five years in engineering, technology or related disciplines. Junaid was paired with a fellowship advisor from the IET to help him through the application and he became the youngest IET fellow on record at just 27. He had to make his case that he met at least two of the criteria from the list. So in my case, it was about creativity and innovation. There's a part about collecting evidence in terms of being able to say, you know, for me, it was around the academic research I've done alongside the impact in real world engineering projects to kind of substantiate that creativity and innovation. And then also basically having someone to, to um, referee kind of my, my um, application, both from within the, the IET, as well as someone who is um, essentially, um, who, who's kind of supervised me and, um, and kind of managed me before as well. Junaid says being a fellow of the IET has opened many doors and given him opportunities that he wouldn't have otherwise had. A good example of that, I think, recently is um, when I was actually going through a process of trying a startup idea and looking for funding. One of the funding routes that was open to us was via the uh, Royal Academy of Engineering, who, who the um, IET um, um, work quite closely with, alongside the rest of the, the engineering community. So those types of um, those types of opportunities are very very available there, and alongside that, the ability to to um, work with people across the industry, whether it's standardization efforts that happen within the the IET or the IET's ability to engage in policy and governance and actually represent the interests of the engineers who are doing the work on the ground is hugely, hugely advantageous. And what might be next for Junaid? Well, it might come as little surprise that he is turning his focus towards AI. So AI has been, been a, been a um, 
big kind of you know thing where there's a, there's a lot of um, buzz going on around it, and there's lots of thing, talking thing about the overlap between AI and um, cybersecurity. But it's for me at the moment, it's a matter of kind of um, looking uh, beyond kind of the the hype into where the um, practical advantages are and the things where it can really help deliver things which are beneficial to society. So, looking at a lot of that at the moment in terms of AI and cybersecurity. And um, there are other kind of challenges related to that um, around assets. So, for instance, you know, the cost of because it's actually very computationally expensive to do um, AI. Um, you know, how we bring down those costs there to, to make it um, make it more cost effective. So, one of the things I recently worked on was actually an AI. Basically, um, I worked with someone I used to work with in uh, in California around creating artificial consciousness technology and, and actually using it to make things more secure rather than you know the trope of it being you know um, something which would um, you know ultimately take over humanity and things like that but actually using artificial consciousness to make things things better to find out more about IET membership or fellowship please visit theiet.org Engineering Matters is a production of Reby Media. This episode was written and produced by me, Johnny Dowling. Editing and series supervision by John Young. Sound engineering by Ross McPherson. And our own data protection warning is Rory Harris. Thank you for listening. You can find us on all podcast apps, on our website, engineeringmatters.reby.media, or on LinkedIn. LinkedIn.